Well, we are wrapping up our series through the book of Revelation this morning, and uh, it's a really a perfect passage. It's an unusual passage. We don't always preach on this on Easter Sunday, but it is really a perfect passage to look at, the very last two chapters of our Bibles. And so if you open your Bibles to Revelation 21, otherwise the words will be up on the screen as well, and we'll read both chapters. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God, it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel Like a jasper, clear as crystal, it had great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 1,200 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured the wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurements, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone, The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each gate made a single pearl. The great street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. 
I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations." No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord the God of the spirit of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this book. I, John, am one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book, worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes words away from the book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I'm going to have to take a few dramatic pauses in the middle to drink some water.
I'm not a big reality TV person. I don't like all of the dramatics and the drama. <clears throat> but lately, I've been enjoying a show called Alone. It's where they take somebody, drop them off in the middle of the wilderness. They give them 10 items to survive with and uh, see who can last the longest on their own surviving out in the wilderness. And whoever lasts the longest gets $500,000. And it's interesting to watch the show because it's a show, you, I mean, of course they make it super dramatic, but, but you actually are watching this show and you're watching people have to endure and overcome pretty significant challenges. I mean, it's all a show about endurance and perseverance. And so you watch a person come up against some challenge and they have to either figure out a way to solve it or sometimes they just have to bear down and gut it out and go through the pain. And it's been interesting as I've watched the show and I've watched people, uh, those who kind of have endured the longest, kind of made it the longest to the end. I mean, there's people 75, 87 days out there alone surviving off the land. But the ones who have lasted the longest all had one thing in common. They spent a lot of time dreaming about the end. They would sit there and they would dream about the food that they would eat <laughs> when they no longer had to eat bugs and bark and fish. They would dream about the time that they would be able to spend with their family once they got off of um, wherever they were at. They would dream about how they'd use the $500,000 that they might win. And, and all of this dreaming about the end, the dreaming about the joys of being on the other side of it, that kind of pulled them through all of the trials. And, and you might think, well, some of those are kind of shallow. I mean, okay, thinking about $500,000 and allowing that to pull you through trials, that's maybe a little shallow, and that's probably right. But there's a, there's a deeper thing going on um, on there. I, I was, as I was thinking about that and thinking about this morning, I remembered a passage from Hebrews that talks about Moses. And it answers the, answers the question, how was Moses able to endure all the struggle and the trial that he faced? And it says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward." So here's the question, right? You look at Moses and you think, all right, this guy was a prince of Egypt. He had everything. He wanted something. He snapped his finger and a servant would bring it to him, and yet he left it. Went to be with God's people who were slaves. How did he do that? How did he endure all the mocking and the trials of being a slave? How did he, how did he keep going on when he kept being told to no, no, no? God gave him one job to do, lead my people out of Egypt, and he kept failing at it. How did he keep going on? It said he looked beyond those trials to the reward. He knew something greater 
was out there, something greater than, than any of the treasures of Egypt, something greater than the prestige of men. There was something greater out there. And so he looked to that reward, and that reward pulled him through whatever trial he faced and whatever difficulty he encountered. Which reminded me of another passage, 1 Corinthians 15. It says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Moses would agree. His hope lied beyond this life. His hope lied in that reward out there. And Paul says if, if, our, if following Christ only gives us hope in this life, then people should pity us. If our life in Christ only gives us our best life now, that's not a hope that's strong enough to pull us through trials and difficulties. We need a hope that is eternal, a hope that is everlasting, a hope that goes beyond this life if we're going to actually endure. If we're going to endure when it seems like everything is falling apart, we need a hope that will never fall apart. And that's what we celebrate this morning on Easter Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a celebration that he has overcome sin, overcome death, and overcome Satan, and that our hope now is eternal in heaven with him. A hope that will never fade. The fact that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead means that we have a hope that goes beyond this life. We have a hope that will last forever And it means we have a hope that is strong enough to pull us through whatever trial or difficulty we face in this life. And we have we do have we have a hope in the future, but we also do have hope now, right? We we have a hope now because through Jesus' life and through his resurrection and his death, we have the forgiveness of sins. It says, because Jesus lived and died and rose again, we can have our sins forgiven. We can have our we can be set free from our slavery toward sin if we look to him in faith. That gives us hope now. We can actually overcome sin in our life. We can actually endure. But but as hope the hope that Christ gives is more than just the forgiveness of our sins. Because we can be forgiven of our... I mean, don't think I'm downplaying the forgiveness of our sins, but we can be forgiven of our sins, set free from sin, but guess what? Life is still hard. We still struggle with our sin. We still live in a world that is messed up. We still have our own sin, and we've got all the sin of people around us, and, and we're always left longing for something more. We know, deep down in our core, we know there is something better. And in some ways, we are like those people alone in the wilderness, trying to survive, longing for the day when we will be back reunited with friends and family. And this morning and the resurrection, it points us to that something better. 
This morning it points us to that perfection of what Christ has brought us. And that's what we read about in, in Revelation 21 and 22. Just you read through these chapters and there's a lot, you know, you can, you can do two things when you read through these last two chapters of Revelation. On the one hand, you can get so overwhelmed with all the imagery and so many, I have so many questions. And I just want to say, ignore the questions for a little bit and just let the imagery hit you. The imagery when you read these is just awe and beauty beyond description. That's what you're, you don't have to know what everything means. You don't have to understand every image. Just let the images hit you of the beauty of what's to come at the end of history. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Now, I always like to say this doesn't mean that necessarily this earth and heaven are going to completely disappear and it'll be a completely new heaven and a new earth. It actually means there's restoration and purification. That's, it's the same language that the Bible uses with us. Right? It says when we, when we put our faith in Christ and we give our lives to him, it says our old selves pass away and we become new creatures in Christ. That doesn't mean our bodies disappear or our souls disappear. It just means that they're renewed restored and brought into the perfection slowly of what God has designed us to be. And that's the promise of this heaven and, and this earth. They will be restored and refined. I mean, just imagine. I mean, the, last night I sat out on the lake. The wind died down. The lake was like glass. There was a sunset coming over it. It was glorious. And I thought, that's in a fallen world. It'll be more perfect more beautiful in heaven when we have the new heavens and the new earth unaffected by sin. And even better, it says that the dwelling place of God now is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. I mean, this reminds us what Don said at the beginning. The main problem in the world is sin. It's the main problem in our own hearts as well is sin. And, and the Bible talks about sin causes this separation between us and God. It's why, it's why when we go through life, there are times it feels like God is far away and distant and we feel like we're alone because sin is bringing this separation constantly but because Christ rose from the dead and overcame sin, one day sin will be no more. And that separation that we feel with God now will be gone. And God will be right here, near, always present. And because sin is gone, there will be no more tears. There will be no more death. Be no more mourning, no more crying, and let me emphasize this one, no more pain. I know many of you have chronic pain. You walk around in pain every day. One day, gone forever, no more pain.
we read it as done. On Good Friday, as, as Christ hung on the cross, we, right before he breathes his last breath, he says, it is finished. And we get an echo of that at the end of history where he says, now it's done. His work on earth at that point was finished when he died on the cross and then rose from the dead. But now at the end of history, he said, this is why I died. This is why I lived. This is why I died. This is why I rose again. So that God's people would be perfected and so that the earth would be made new and so that everything would be restored. And Christ says, it's done. And now he's no longer hanging on a cross as a crucified criminal. Now he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm the, I'm the first and the last. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's made everything new. And don't miss that line about to the thirsty. It says, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. That's talking about our desires. It says, when we get to heaven, when Christ comes again and renews everything, our desires will be transformed so that we will no longer desire things we shouldn't want, and everything that we desire will be fulfilled. To the thirsty, you will get to drink. You won't have to earn it. You won't have to try to make your way. It will be free right there. And the promise of Psalm 23 that we all know, the Lord will be our shepherd and we will not want anything. Now we get a picture of the city but, but notice how, how the city is introduced. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Notice what he says first. The angel comes to John. He says, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you the bride of the Lamb. I'm going to show you the wife of Jesus Christ, which throughout all of Scripture, that's us, God's people. The church is the bride of Christ. He says, I'm going to show you the church in heaven at the end of history. And then when John looks, he sees the city, which is another picture of the church. And the imagery you're supposed to get is that moment at a wedding, right? We know the wedding, the groom stands up in front and everybody processes in and then they stop to build a little suspense. And then the music plays and then the doors swing open. I don't know if it was ever that dramatic, but in reality, in the TV, right? The doors swing open and the bride steps in and everyone goes, <gasps> that's how they do it on the reality shows. But there's some truth in that anyways. Even with all, you take some of the drama, at this point, that's what we will do. The images, in all, after all of the chaos of Revelation, after all of the turmoil of this life, the doors will be swung open and we will see God's people and everyone will go, oh, it's beautiful. Covered in jewels. 
12 gates, 12 stones for foundation, representing all of God's people. This is all of God's people from, from Adam till the very end. It's, it's Old and New Testament, all of God's people, covered in jewels, streets of gold. It is the beauty of the church that Christ died for. We think now, we look around at the church and we think, maybe it looks like a mess. Maybe it looks like a frazzled bride before she gets ready. But one day Christ will make us pure and beautiful and holy and you're a part of that. And we're a part of that. All together we are Christ's bride that he gave his life for. It's a reminder way back, way back in chapter 2. Do you remember that? That was a long time ago where God looked at this one church and he said, I know, I know your poverty. I know you don't have any money. You don't have anything in this world. But Jesus said, you are rich. Because this is what God's people will look like. A beautiful city descending. See, more promises. He says, I saw no temple in the city. This temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb The city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Just be- we, we could feel the, the beauty of it. I, I, I hope by just even reading the passages, we should feel this longing kind of rise up in us. We, we want this. And yet in the midst of it, there are warnings. In the midst of all of the beautiful descriptions and the beautiful passages, there are warnings. It says, as it talks about this beautiful city of God, it says, nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And it's a reminder that in the midst of all of the beauty and the glory of the city, not everyone will enter the city. Uh, The repeated image we've been given throughout Revelation is a number of people choosing not to enter into the city. They don't want to go in the city. They want to stay on their own. Rather than turning away from their sin and trusting in Jesus and entering into the city, they say, no, I'm going to hold on to my sin and I'm going to curse God and I'm going to receive the judgment and the punishment that comes with that. And they'll live outside the city for eternity. And we're told that nothing unclean will enter it. Because sin will be gone and removed from there. The only way you get to live in the city, the only way you get to be part of the people of God is to have your sin taken care of. And we're reminded you can't do that on your own. You can't work hard enough to take care of your sin. You can't do enough good things to take care of your sin. The only way you can have your sin taken care of is look to Jesus Christ in faith. And trust. To turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ. Then your sins are clean. Then now you're able to enter into the city and receive these rewards and live in the city forever. And then you have hope in this life and in the life to come. 
then you have a hope that your sins are forgiven. You can overcome some of the struggles in your life because Christ has set you free. But you also have a hope that goes beyond this life and will never fade away in heaven. You have a reward waiting for you. A glorious day where there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more tears. And you will be in the very presence of God forever and ever and ever. And that is a hope that's strong enough to pull us through any trial that we face, any difficulty that comes our way. And I have to, I mean, this is a really big deal. Um, I don't think I have to even remind us all of what this last year has brought, that we've watched people have all of their hopes and dreams shattered because their hopes and dreams were in this life only. Their, Their hopes and dreams were not strong enough to pull them through this pandemic. And the reality is, who knows what lies ahead? There have been worse pandemics throughout the history. There's been way worse pandemics throughout the history of the world. We don't know what difficulty is coming. We don't know the trials that are coming. We don't know how crazy the world may get in the next how many years. And the question that needs to be on our heart is, do we have a hope strong enough to pull us through what's coming, what might come? Do we have a hope that is beyond this life, something that's eternal? And the reminder this morning is you can find that hope in Jesus Christ through the forgiveness of his sins and the eternal life he has waiting for you in heaven. And I also want to just encourage us, um, take time regularly to meditate on heaven. That has been something we don't do now because we've got pretty cushy life. But as you read throughout the church, throughout the the millennia, for the last 2,000 years, they spent a lot of time meditating on heaven. They said it was an essential part of the Christian life in order to overcome the trials and the difficulties of this life. And so I encourage you, read these last two chapters regularly. Get these images in your brain and deep down in your soul because you really never know when you're going to need them. You maybe don't need them now because things are going well and things are cushy, but there could come a time where you need these to pull you through a difficult time. Because we get, into, we get into all this mess and we get into all these trials and difficulties and it's easy for us to only see all of the difficulties around us, right? It's easy to only see the enemies coming at us. And this is a reminder that sometimes in the midst of all of the chaos, we need to stand up, take our eyes up over and beyond the trials and the difficulties and see the hope that we have down the road. See the hope that we have in heaven for us and be reminded that that's worth way more than anything this world has to offer us. That's what faith looks like. Read Hebrews 11. That's what faith looks like. That's how Moses finished the race. That's how we will finish the race, by keeping our eyes on Christ and keeping our eyes on the reward we have at the end. I want to end reminding you of this passage about Moses 
by faith, Moses and us. When he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking, he kept looking continually to his reward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this morning. We give you thanks that we can gather together with your people, with your bride. We give you thanks that we can celebrate and rejoice in the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the hope that he gives us in this life, but even more importantly, in the life beyond. The eternal hope. And Father, I pray that each one of us would rest in that hope today, but also in the future as we face trials and difficulties and turmoil. Lord, may we not rest in our own strength or in hope of just this life, but may we rest in Christ. Father, I pray that each one of us would look to you in faith, trust you, receive forgiveness, and live our lives as sacrifices of praise. Father, turn our hearts towards you. We we ask your forgiveness for so often trusting ourselves and trusting other things, and we ask you, Lord, to forgive us, but turn our hearts and our eyes, our minds back to you. And then, Father, help keep our eyes on the reward. Help us clearly see the reward you have waiting for us in heaven. And then give us strength to keep running the race. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.